This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. The very best bits of today's show. It is Wednesday, the 21st of February. My wife's birthday, so I should be doing a bit of retail therapy a little bit later on. In the meantime, these are our top business stories today, starting with a look at the market. Bank of England holding interest rates on hold despite a recession in the United Kingdom. Going to hear from Andrew Bailey, the head of the Bank of England, and reaction from Jean Walters, senior economist at Emirates MBD. Talking aviation with Jeff Thomas at airlineratings.com. He's in Singapore for the Singapore Air Show, but Boeing is not At least there are no Boeing commercial aircraft there. Jeff says that is an opportunity for China to sell some of their new aeroplanes. Also going to hear from George Ratcliffe. He's the commercial director of Ineos Automotive. He is promoting their new car, the SUV, the Grenadier, here in Dubai. But more interestingly for many will be the fact that he is the son of Sir Jim Ratcliffe, the founder of Ineos, the company that's just bought a stake in Manchester United Football Club. Get George's thoughts on that as well as the auto industry. And finally, talking food. Of course we are. Gulf Food continues this week. It is a behemoth. Ananya Narayan is there in force. He's the founder and managing director of Hunter Foods. We're calling him Dubai's potato chip king. He's just built a new manufacturing facility in Dubai. He's calling it, boom, boom, Charlie and the Chip Factory. All that to come. First up, though, the markets. We've been talking about uh, the economy over in the United States and Saudi Arabia. What news from England, sir? The boss of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, has been speaking. He was being grilled by politicians yesterday about interest rates and why interest rates are so high. Let's have a listen now to one of those conversations because there's a bit of a standoff here. A lot of politicians want him to cut interest rates because the country is in a recession, two consecutive quarters of economic contraction. But interest rates remain stubbornly high. Let's have a listen to the the second soundbite from... Andrew Bailey, Governor of the Bank of England. But before that, an irate British politician. Why aren't you cutting rates now? Why aren't you looking forward and not back and realising that actually a lot of the indicators that you have quoted in the past, you and the MPC, are actually flashing red when it comes to cutting interest rates? The question is, for how long do we need to keep policy restrictive to be confident that it's not just going to settle at two and three quarter percent, it's on the it's on the sustainable path to two percent. And that's the judgment that we, we've got to make. Just, We're not just, there yet. We're not there yet. Yes, you are, Andrew, I would say, but I'm very dovish on interest rate. If Brandy Scott was here, she has a different view. She would say, no, the Bank of England and other central banks are right to delay cutting interest rates. The war on inflation is not yet won. Uh, so Bailey did say, yes, it's soon going to be time to cut interest rates. But we're not quite there yet. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much team cut interest rates. You're in a recession. I mean, this is, this, is not, this is not some kind of far out, funky, left field, blue sky thinking monetary policy. Countries in the recession, therefore cut interest rates. All the inflation indicators are coming down. You're in a recession. Interest rates are very restrictive at the moment. Cut them, Andrew. Mm. And that's just economic, that's just monetary policy 101. Do your job, Andrew. I would argue, I'm with, I'm with the IRA MP. 
I, don't, I rarely am because obviously there's a lot of grandstanding from politicians. Yeah, they're appealing to their electorate. There's an election coming up. You know, they want to be saying the right thing. So you, you, you kind of take what politicians say with a pinch of salt at any time, but certainly in an election year. But on this occasion, I think they're right. It is time, Andrew. Recession. Cut interest rates. I mean, do I have to draw you a picture? Do, do we get a napkin out at the Grenadier Pub in London? <laughs> Did I draw you a Phillips curve or something? <laughs> Analysis on this one from Jean Walters. Uh, we've asked Jean to take all those numbers into consideration uh, and give us her outlook for UK rates and sterling. Andrew Bailey, Governor of the Bank of England, speaking at a Treasury Select Committee meeting on Tuesday, highlighted that markets were not unreasonable in thinking that the bank would cut rates this year. However, he also stressed that the bank wanted to see sustained progress on service price growth, wages and the labour market before cutting rates. Our own expectation is that the BOE will start cutting rates in the second half of 2024 with two cuts by December, leaving bank rate at 4.75% at the end of 2024. We expect this move to be accompanied by a slight appreciation in sterling this year. Jan Walters, Senior Economist, Emirates NBD. You mentioned all things Grenadier uh, and with good... There seems to be a bit of a, a Ratcliffe theme developing. Uh, we just had news uh, coming from the sports desk as well as big news overnight as well. And a very special guest waiting in the wings. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So, as uh, Serena mentioned in the headlines, there news overnight that Sir Jim Ratcliffe, the British billionaire, has completed his deal to buy a 27 28% stake in Manchester United Football Club. It's one25 billion pounds. That's about six-ish billion dirhams or so. The deal's been in the works for a while, but ratified and completed last night. As luck would have it, in the green room now and in the studio shortly, we have George Radcliffe, the son of aforementioned billionaire Sir Jim Radcliffe. Now, George is not here to talk about football clubs. He's here to talk about cars because he's the boss of Ineos Automotive. And recently they launched their first car. It's an SUV called the Grenadier. And the pub reference I made earlier on was the fact that the cub is the, the car is named after the pub in London, the Grenadier, in which it was designed by a few people sitting around with a napkin saying, we really missed the Land Rover Defender. And the old Land Rover Defender and drew a picture of a nice one. There were lawsuits, um, but it's all fine now. The car's available. People are driving them around now and they're selling them. They cost, I was looking on the website, 267,000 dirhams Here. to buy one. Here. Through Adamas, is that Through right? Through Adamas, their local distributor. So they're not a cheap car. It's not mass market, but nor is it super hyper luxury. And the point is they're kind of rugged, mechanical. It's a lovely car. Though. You've driven it. I, I think it's, I happen to like it. But I mean, it's really old school. Lots of buttons. Lots of buttons. Yeah, lots of buttons. Is there a market for it? Well, we love our SUVs out here, which I guess is why George Radcliffe is here, because he's the boss of Ineos Automotive and they need to ramp up sales. It's only been out a, a few months or so. So we're going to find out, though, because he's up against stiff competition. Because mm. the obvious competitor now is the G-Wagon, boxy, rugged SUV. People love the G-Wagons out here, have done for decades. You know, I hate... You, you, who, who's Grenadier? Who's Ineos? Yeah, chemical company. Buy chemicals from them. No problem at all. But launching a new car brand is never easy. It's not impossible, but, you know, you've got a showroom on Shadeside Road. Mercedes, BMW, Bentley, all of these well-established names. And you've got to convince someone to come into your showroom in the first place and then go, no, I'm not going to buy any of those. I'm going to buy a car brand that no one had heard of a couple of years ago. I'll tell you what does help, though. So Dave Braille says, walking, driving out of Old Trafford in one. <laughs> he is indeed a bright red one. 
This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Very good morning, Business Breakfast. 6.53 a.m. here in Dubai. 10.53 a.m. in Singapore, which means day two of the air show is underway. Jeff Thomas is there. He's the Managing Director and Editor-in-Chief of AirlineRatings.com. Joins us live. Morning, Jeff. Morning, Richard. How are you? I'm good. Thanks very much indeed. Sort of two stories and they're rolled into one that I'm seeing from the Singapore Air Show. One is the fact that Boeing hasn't got any commercial aircraft there. The second one was that China did a couple of deals yesterday to sell its rival aircraft, the C919. What do you make of it? Look, it's uh, I've never been to an air show where Boeing has not had uh, a commercial presence at least. Um, and yes, they've got some military aircraft there under the under the banner of the U.S. Air Force. But uh, yeah, it's really surprising, uh, disappointing. Um, and and yes, uh, are we seeing a shift? Are we seeing a shift to China uh, with the C919? Um, and it's certainly starting to turn heads. There was lots of uh, activity at their stand, lots of folks uh, talking to the Chinese representatives there. And uh, the 919 looks like a really good aeroplane. The big question mark, though for major carriers, for instance, like Ryanair or Fly Dubai or the sorts of airlines that would buy this airplane is, you know, are the, uh, uh, is the aeroplane going to be supported uh, long term? Are we going to have a uh, f- free flow of spare parts? They're the really big issues. And it will take time for the Chinese to prove their credentials in that space. Yeah, because I'm looking at the deals that Comac did yesterday to sell these Chinese C919 aircraft. And it was China's Tibet Airlines finalised an order for 40 of them. And you also had a, another deal with China's Henan Civil Aviation Development. Yep. Is it the chatter, though, when you speak to airline executives, because they're the ones who ultimately write the cheque, what's mm. the chatter like when you speak to them around the Singapore Air Show? Are they seriously looking at these aircraft? Look, they are seriously looking at it because the Chinese are doing great deals. I mean, a number of years ago, Michael O'Leary from Ryanair was talking seriously to the Chinese about the 919. Uh, that particular uh, discussions didn't lead to an order. But, you know, if the Chinese prove the 919 is a reliable platform, well supported in service, uh, initially with the Chinese airlines or airlines that are uh, uh, connected with China, um, if, the, if the Western carriers see positive signs in that space, then yes, the, the deals that could be done for the 919 um, for some low-cost carriers could be uh, very attractive um, and uh, certainly certainly an option. But, I mean, Airbus and Boeing, they're, uh, they're pretty powerful companies and they've got a long, long-standing reputation for standing by their products over decades and decades and decades. And that's that's the bottom line. It's, you know, it, it's all very well to buy an aircraft super cheap, half the price, if you like. But if, if it continues to break down and let passengers down, it, it'll be a fiasco. In terms of the pricing, airline, well, the aircraft pricing is always opaque, isn't it? There are list prices and then there's what's actually paid. I'm looking at the South China Morning Post, which has the list price of the C919, which is basically your 
the equivalent of a 737 from Boeing or an A320 from Airbus at $99 million, which is similar to the Airbus and Boeing price. But what are you hearing behind the scenes about the actual price that you can buy a, a C919 for if you're ordering a fleet? Uh, look, there's no, there's no doubt from what I'm hearing that the pricing is considerably below an A320 or a 737-800. Um, and one of the problems with the, with the, uh, with the A320 and 737-800 is simply, or the, the, the max, I should say, you, you simply can't get them. And, and even the second-hand market for them is very, very robust. Um, airlines are not ready yet to move across to the C919. Um, so um, the Chinese do have to do really super deals to get airlines to sort of move away and to trust them that they can support it. Supporting of these airplanes is critical. It, it cannot be understated how important that is. Uh, even a 50% discount is not going to work unless you can absolutely guarantee the support um, of the product. So what about consumer and their, their willingness to buy a ticket on one of these aircraft? You mentioned Ryanair there, the biggest low-cost carrier in Europe, Southwest, the equivalent in the United States. Are Mr. and Mrs. Herringbone from Wyoming going to put their kids on a Southwestern flight if it's on a Chinese 919? Well, that's a good question, um, but those folks also probably are buying a Chinese car or they're buying a car that's full of Chinese components. I mean, you know, you have a look at everything you buy these days and it's it's got China all over it, whether it's cameras, whether it's electronics, uh, and, and they work really well. I mean, the componentry works very well and so many Western com- uh, companies have factories in China um, and producing top quality product um you know it, it's it's like japan uh, 50 60 years ago uh they used to have a city in japan called USA, usa uh because they wanted to say made in usa um now today you know the japan's proven itself a, a thousand times over um and and uh, china's doing the same thing uh it's becoming a, a supplier of top quality product um and but with an aircraft it's a little bit different again i get back to the support package um look and 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 uh, the 919 has a lot of western equipment in it um and and including western engines so 10 seconds left jeff just your final thought yeah, it's, watch this space. I think it's got a great future. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, I, I think it'll do well. Jeff, always good to talk to you. Appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule at the Singapore Air Show. The thoughts of Jeff Thomas there, Managing Director, Editor-in-Chief, AirlineRatings.com. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Right, let's talk about the car industry now. George Radcliffe's here, Commercial Director, Ineos Automotive. Morning, George. Thanks for being with us. Morning, guys. It's a British company, and you've just launched a car, the Grenadier. It's an SUV. Uh, A lot of people comparing it to the old Land Rover Defender. What makes you think, as a new company, you can come into a market like Dubai, UAE, or anywhere for that matter, and compete against the likes of Mercedes, BMW, Lexus, who've been selling SUVs here for years with a new brand that, frankly, a lot of people haven't heard of? I think very good question. I mean, we're, we're, we've launched six months ago. So brand new brand, brand new car, launched six months ago around the world. And I think the, um, the, the question is relevant for everybody. You know, why, why this market and why would people take a new brand? But I think that 
the SUV market has become exactly that. It's become a sports utility market rather than a true four by four. And we thought we saw a gap. We thought there was a, a missing opportunity. And what cars should have should have stayed at that true four by four. Uh, and that's what we've created and that's what we've moved into the market and we're, we're introducing this week into the GCC. And while many car makers are going very futuristic, curved lines, battery-powered engines, you've gone the other way. This is very mechanical, it's very boxy, it's, it's got an internal combustion engine vehicle. Just tell us a story about where this car was conceived. Tom and I have read it many times before, but we've, we've never heard it from you in the Grenadier pub in London a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, the, the story, I, I could talk to you for, for hours on the story, but I mean, for five, five years ago it started, and um, Ineos, bit, bit of a wider, wider conversation, Ineos for me, family company, started 25 years ago, um, and it's in petrochemical business, so it's a much bigger company behind what Ineos is, and five years ago, Jim Ratcliffe, the founder and owner, um, just, understood that there wasn't a wasn't this 4x4 there was a missing gap in the market and cars were moving away from what that true 4x4 was so he he couldn't find what he wanted so ultimately decided to build his own um he went through a lot of um ideas and sketches with your classic automotive people and classic automotive designers and they kept coming back with the cars that we know today the really jelly mold like designs and None of it really worked. And one one of his friends from quite a long time before who never had anything to do with cars, who sat through these design meetings early on, said, you know what, Jim, I think I know what you need, what you mean and what you need. And he actually, they were having a beer in a pub in England called the Grenadier, a really traditional British pub. Um, and he had a five pound note. And on the back of it, he sketched a vehicle of what he thought Jim was trying to communicate to all of these modern car designers. And it was exactly that. It was this boxy 4x4 Grenadier, which the industry's moving away from. Um, And that was actually the first sketch of it. That's where the project started. Hence, it was known as the Grenadier. And then five years later, we've stuck quite true to the design. um, And uh, yeah, and it's now finally out now and, uh, and launched. So I was looking on the website. The the starting price for the cars here is 267,000 dirhams, and it's similar to the price around the world. It, is this a business that's looking to make a profit, or is it a, a, a pet project from a very wealthy business that really makes its money out of petrochemicals? I mean, first and foremost, it has to work as a business, so it has to be profitable. I think if you look at a lot of other new car startups, they take a long time to get there. We, we, we will focus quite sharply on the product we have now um, in the first year, which you will, we'll see selling without introducing anything else. So we should be in a position where we're profitable by year one of selling. So we started trading six months ago. This is our first full year. So if the business isn't profitable, it won't work. So that's a big focus for us. Give us some wider context about Ineos. Petrochemical company, of course, we're no stranger to hydrocarbons in this part of, part of the world. Ineos, not necessarily a household name here, but we know the brand perhaps more through sport. Ineos Team Grenadiers cycling is the UAE Tour this week. We've seen the, the Mercedes team in Abu Dhabi at the Formula One with, with Ineos backing. And one of our top stories this morning is the, the Manchester United deal as well. Where does sport fit into all of this and what you're trying to achieve? Exactly. I mean, Ineos, exactly. Petrochemical company moved into oil and gas as well within probably the first five years of its existence. But we're such a B2B company, so we don't need to be branded. Sport has come along in the last five or six years and 
Ineos is a private company, one of the largest private companies in the world. And sport for the three owners, the three shareholders, is their enjoyment and they're really passionate about it. And we've slowly moved into bigger teams, but own a third of Mercedes Formula One, French football team, a Swiss football team, uh, Ineos Grenadiers Cycling, which formerly was Team Sky. Um, but it's absolutely the, the three owners, they, they love it and they're all into um, their sport. Um, and most recently, Manchester United, where Jim Ratcliffe is from, born in Manchester around the corner. So, I mean, that's the, it's quite a fresh story today. That's the sort of ultimate, ultimate sports brands, really. But it's a real enjoyment. And I suppose the, the one view we get on sport that not many other people do is the multi-sport franchise idea. You know, you get to understand what is the best of the best from cycling, what's the best of the best from football, what makes, you know, Mercedes Formula One the most successful Formula One team. Um, and, you know, where there's cross-pollination in sport, I think we'll look to bring it in. But first and foremost, it's, it is a genuine passion from all of us and the owners. George, obviously an important part of the world for you and for, for, for Ineos Automotive. Um, very competitive automotive market out here as well. Why Adamas Motors? There would have been a number of options. Why are they the right partner for you here? We, we focus really hard on finding the right partners because it's a new brand and it's a new car. And you need to trust the people locally to, to sell it for us. I mean, we launched in 43 countries in the first six months. So that's an immense challenge to take on. So Adamasar, they get what the car is. They get what the brand is. They, they see that it's such a pure four by four of what cars supposed to be. But it's also, you know, you can drive to the mall in it. You can drop your kids off at school in it. And I think you've got to talk to both customers um, Adamas are our biggest global distributor. So it's, you know, we've, we've put a lot of faith and trust in them and um, their market in, you know, the first few months, one of the most successful markets we've got. So I'm very pleased that we have chosen them. So in terms of, of building a car like this, you've clearly, you're not, well, you are building it from scratch, but you took over an old car part. It's not actually built in the UK, is it? It's built in France, am I right in thinking? There's a lot of BMW parts in there. So you, it, it's not completely from the ground up. You're using suppliers as well. Am I right in thinking? Exactly. You know, we, we are quite honest in terms of if we started from scratch building a car with zero background and experience, you, you wouldn't have the trust of your customers. So we looked to find the, the best partners for the car. So it was designed by Magna Engineering. They, they're the team that have designed and built the G-Wagon. Their full team of 200 engineers five years ago moved over to our Grenadier. That's probably the strongest asset of it. I think the BMW engine is, I would say, the best engine available in it is fantastic. Uh, Recaro seats, incredibly comfortable. Um, I mean, it's a, it's really, I think, best partners that we could find we've put into the car. So when you look what's underneath the, the kind of the bonnet underneath it, it's... You know, it's, it's as good as it gets, 4 by 4 really. 30 seconds left. Peter's written in. Uh, there's nothing new to this. It's just an old defender. I know there have been lawsuits, so you've got to be careful of what you say. But 30 seconds, what do you say to Peter? I think if you sit in an old defender and you sit in a Grenadier, then they're nothing alike at all. And I've had that conversation with a lot of um, passionate defender drivers. And, and they are passionate because it was such an iconic vehicle. This is something new and modern. And they're, they're nothing. they're nothing comparable. But... 
you know, I suppose there's an argument of what the Defender and other cars should have become today. It's exactly what the Grenadier is. And those OEMs have left that space and we've, we've filled it really. So, George, good speaking to you. You're only here for a couple of days, so we appreciate you making time for us. The thoughts of George Radcliffe, the commercial director of Ineos Automotive. Appreciate your time. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We're talking the finance of food because the giant golf food event continues. Ananya Narayan is the managing director of Hunter Foods based here in Dubai. He's with us in the studio. Ananya, good morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me here. Gulf food, always a, a busy and big time for you at Hunter Foods. I'm calling you the potato chip king of Dubai because that's predominantly what Hunter Foods makes. What's big for you at Gulf food this year? Well, we're launching um, mushroom chips and okra chips this year. And we're, we've repackaged our most famous line of products which we have, which are the truffle chips. So we've uh, redesigned our black truffle versus our white truffle range. I was also seeing on your website foie gras chips that you're, that you're pushing at the moment, but you say that they're vegan and vegetarian. Foie gras is the antithesis, I would say, of vegan and vegetarian. How do you do this? Well, it is bringing the flavor of foie gras without having having it available to the entire world, not only the duck lovers, but for people like me who are vegetarian who'd want to try such a flavour. Okay. And this is all part of the drive for innovation. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile last night, and well, what is it? I'm going to read it out to you. you. You describe yourself, first and foremost, as a transformation strategist and an innovator, and then it says CEO of Hunter Foods. So is this where we stand with innovation in the, in the potato chip market? Because it is highly competitive. In many ways, it's a generic, relatively low-cost product. So how do you stand out in a market like that? We pride ourselves at being the better-for-you gourmet and innovative snack company. And in order to do that, one needs to always stay at the top of the game. And we have to keep thinking about the 2.0, the 3.0, the 4.0. How do we keep taking uh, the concept of crisps to the next level? Okay, so to play devil's advocate, I'll say this is just marketing hype. Okay, it's a slightly different flavor that you've put in, but it's still deep fried potatoes. There's nothing new about this. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I'm not being rude. But how do you respond to something like that? I think it's people love snacks people love to snack but if you're going to snack you got to snack the best there is out there and so that's what we try to make we try to make it with the best oil we use sunflower oil and a special type of sunflower oil which is seven percent saturated fat in comparison to a palm oil which is 49 percent if we got the flavor we want to use the best flavor out there which doesn't have any MSG, it doesn't have anything, any artificial coloring, any artificial flavoring. So yes, it's still the same potato chip. But then how do we use the best oils, the best flavors to make it um, more gourmet, but also better for you? And that does give you pricing power, doesn't it? Hunter chips, and many people here are a big fan, they're never the cheapest in the gas station when we pop in to get a snack. Talk to, then that must be a really big thing for you, the, the pricing of these products. The, the, what is it, five dirhams-ish for a packet of your chips? I can buy a competitor's for, for one or two dirhams. Talk to me through that. Well, we've got different level of chips in the market. So you would have what I'd consider the mass market or the mass premium 
are the premium chips. And we generally play within the premium and mass premium range. And within that, we are quite competitive against most of our major competitors who tend to be more from Europe. Okay, so you make them here in Dubai. You were at Jebel Ali Free Zone. You were telling me before we came on air, you were the first company to open in Jebel Ali Free Zone back in the, in the mid-80s, making chips. Actually, we were. Uh, our registration number was number eight. But as a building, the first building to come up in 1986 was Hunter Foods, uh, which we opened on March the 13th. So it's almost going to be 26, uh, sorry, it's going to be um, 38 years next month. You did have a setback with that factory just at the start of COVID because you had a fire. So you had to move across Shakeside Road. Tell me that story. Well, it was the beginning of COVID, and we had an unfortunate event. Uh, fortunately, no one was hurt, but it um, it brought us into a stage where the whole team came together and we rebuilt um, our factory four times the size of what we had in Jablali Free Zone in a matter of six months. Uh, during COVID, when times were difficult in moving machinery, um, but we've come out bigger, better, and stronger. And, but it was the moment of truth. Now we're in the process of building our new uh, facility for the long term. Uh, we're going to break ground next week. So we're very excited about that. And we're trying to build the modern day version of Charlie and the Chips factory. We love that phrase. So you say business is booming. You've had double digit growth in sales here in the UAE, but you export to more than 60 markets around the world. And you say that has been challenging, mainly not because there's not demand for your chips. Japan's your biggest market. Brazil's another big market. But because freight rates have gone up, partly because of inflation, partly because of the Red Sea crisis. Explain that to me. Well, crisps tend to be uh, high volume, lower, lower revenue in terms of per container. And there are many markets where, the, because of the Red Sea scenario, the freight trades have tripled, quadrupled. So by the time the, our container gets to certain markets as far as Brazil, uh, you're paying up to 60% off the total value in freight rather than on the crisps. And so that tends to be challenging, but we are growing to live with that. We understand, look, the only constant is change. So we've got to be ready to, to make those changes and help our partners whenever possible. What about food price inflation for your raw ingredients? It was a, certainly a big deal in 2022 and to an extent 2023. Has that passed now? You must spend a lot of money on potatoes and oil. Well, some of those ingredients have now stabilised. However, there are some which are still increasing, especially when we buy some of the ingredients from Europe. Uh, Asia tends to be a little bit more stable in comparison. Okay, finally, what happens next? We've got a minute left with you. You're a private company, so we don't know your financials, much as I'd like to. IPO boom is going on at the moment. You and the family, you're the second generation, must be looking at that. Any thoughts of a Hunter Foods IPO, buying and selling shares of Hunter Foods rather than just a packet of truffle chips at the gas station? (laughs) 
It's a nice thought, but right now we're trying to keep the eye on the ball, and our key focus is really building that new factory and really inviting the whole community to be a part of it. Charlie and the chip factory definitely wins the phrase of the day, so we thank you for that. We'll let you get back down to the Trade Centre and Gulf Food, and then yet Narayan is the Managing Director of Hunter Foods. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, Richard. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.